everybody, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside running or biking or a million other outdoorsy activities, I'm probably here writing about or talking about doing them. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk about different movements and the people that do them. I was about to be like, don't screw up. I screwed up because I didn't say where our hope is that you can then apply what we learn back to whatever movements you're doing. Oh, okay, fine. You did screw up. Well, you interrupted, <laughs> but here we are. So anyway. what what have you been up to, my dear? Man, a lot of running. And you know what? I have to say, after the Summit 700, my calves were so sore. Uh, and I think it, it took longer to recover from that 21K race than it did to recover from either of the 50Ks that I've done. A lot of uphill, a little bit more intensity, a lot of downhill. A lot of downhill. Straight now, into the now, what did that look like? You know, you have your coach, David Roche, one of the top coaches. You know, you won a race. So what does, what does that week after... Um, you know, something like this half marathon is like a two and a half hour effort. What's that? What's that look like? Well, the parade for me was was a really nice touch. What parade? There was no parade. Oh, yeah. Uh, Your husband wasn't super, (laughs) super impressed. The next day, my my husband's parents were pretty impressed. Oh, there you go. My in-laws were great. They don't get a lot of wins. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) So what does it look like? What's you know, you race on Saturday. Yeah. So then what's it look like? Well, Sunday, unfortunately, looked like trudging up a hill to make sure you were fed and watered at the Canada Cup. But so you're spectating. You didn't do a workout, Yeah, though. generally speaking, rest day, take it super easy, you know, eat some eat some good food. Okay, then, Monday, yeah. two days out. Two days out. Um, I think I, uh, easy run. We were sort of right back in the saddle. And I mean, I'll also say, though, you know, normally after 50K, I have three or four days off. But because this race, while it went super well, uh, it wasn't really on the calendar as like one of my A races or like a race that we really were thinking of like, okay, this is what we're going, you know, this is what we're gearing up towards. So even if you look at my week ahead of that race, like my taper involved a 27 mile trail run six days before that race. Right. So it was a bit of a different recovery strategy, you know. But still, there was actual, I mean, that was an hour. And in the context of things, that was an easy hour, two days out. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's day three? Day three was rest again. Okay. So there's a fair bit of rest there. Yeah, yeah. And then yesterday we were back at it. Today, back at it. Tomorrow, back at it. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, You have, we're, we're, I'll, spill the beans we're recording this a little bit early because we have a pretty busy week coming up peter has nationals so we'll have to talk about how that goes on our next episode but you know we're gearing up for a really fun few days between nationals and some some family visiting and then some camping and some kind of recon of some really good hiking trails and yeah it should be a really fun time i'm excited to actually get in some camping i feel like it's been a really long time since we've done okay let's be honest i don't camp a lot and i actually get outed for that in today's podcast okay yeah i i ask the the question of of our guest about how she handles uh, you know, showering and all that kind of stuff when when in the backcountry and living the hashtag van life and she sort of schooled me on it and you know, I had to admit that I really like a campground that involves a shower. Right. Yeah. We're still easy <laughs> to it. I mean you, you, you play a good play on the sort of van life and stuff for sure, but I like my showers. Right. Right, so we do. We have Morgan Shogren. Yep, you got it. Good um, job. And she's got a new book. It's called Outlandish: Fuel Your Epic. Yeah, so it's a it's a really interesting book because it's kind of a cross between a cookbook and a running memoir. I'm gonna say. And it's it's like a coffee table book in some ways. It's an odd oddly shaped book. Yeah, but very very cool. Tons of gorgeous photography and, and really nice photos. That's that's what makes it. The layout is really cool. It's just a really yeah, impressively put together book, and I really I love her stories in it, and she really weaves a good narrative around some really great camp style cooking. So a lot of really hearty recipes that are pretty easy to make, sort of no matter where you are, and you know some tips on how to 
make stuff with very minimal ingredients or just with the ingredients that happen to be around or be in your cooler in your van or that you know you forage in the woods there's a little bit of talk about foraging that i really enjoyed right i feel like foraging is like my next great frontier yeah, I know. I, I actually haven't read the book. It's on my, my stack of books. I did just post a, a stack of books to Instagram. And it's actually some really good recommendations. So my stack of books just got bigger. Uh, and this book's in it. Uh, but I have just leafed through it a bunch of times, just sort of looking at the different pictures. And I like flipping through recipe books. So I think mm-hmm. what I really like about this book is that it's got a sort of wide appeal. It might just be, you know, sort of you know pictures to look at coffee table book style or if you're looking for a recipe or if you're looking for some camping or you're looking for trail running sort of motivation Mm -hmm. yeah and so morgan used to be a elite track athlete and she turned into a you know long course trail runner so we talk a lot about how she got into that what that looked like and sort of some tips for making that transition. I mean, it's, you know, it's not always the easiest thing. It always looks super graceful in these, you know, great Instagram photos of trail running and admittedly in the photo she has in the book, but it takes a lot of work to get to the the level of like smoothness running that she has. So we, we chat a bunch about that. Yeah. Oh, and to throw back to one of our past guests, she actually has a whole chapter talking about burrow racing which came up last time we talked to Chris McDougall. Interesting. Yeah, and I'm very excited to have him on again soon talking about his upcoming book, which is out this fall. So, so many authors talking about burrow racing. Yeah, I think it's coming back. Do you think we have room for... Is it coming for... back or is it just having it... a first coming? I'm not sure how burrow racing... I think it's having a comeback. Do we have room in the condo for a burrow? No. Hmm. So I feel like people are concerned about the like ethics of burrow racing. Interesting. Well, we'll have yeah. to have Chris dive into that. But for now, let's get into all things camping, cooking, trail running, stove lighting, etc. with Morgan Chevron. Enjoy. Morgan, these days when people are asking what it is that you do, how are you answering them? I feel like every person we have on, I always ask that because it's, it's different from, you know, week to week with a lot of people. And I feel like you're you're one of those people. Yeah, I'm. I'm a freelance writer, um, full, full fledged, full time. Um, I definitely have dabbled with other careers and do side things, but my bread and butter and, and livelihood and, and passion is writing. Mm-hmm. And obviously most recently your book just came out outlandish, which is absolutely beautiful by the way. It's so, thank you. So pretty. And it just makes me want to go outside and cook, which is not a phrase that I would normally use that often. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. That's exactly what I was hoping for. <laughs> I'm like, my, my version of camping is usually, uh, you know, a Snickers bar and stuff like that. But this was like, oh, maybe I should try cooking more when I'm when I'm out. Uh, see totally. And, and I'm a Snickers bar girl, too. So I get it. You know, it's, it's good to have some variety in your life. Yeah. So what what made you decide this is the time to write this book? So I had been living on the road for... Um, I don't know, half a year and I would joke around with my friends that I was going to make a cookbook someday called Fifty Shades of Burritos because I just had a stack of tortillas and was filling them with whatever ingredients I could get my hands on, just the cheapest stuff or things I picked from the ground. And I usually didn't even cook it because I didn't have a real cooking stove at the time. And um, VeloPress actually approached me maybe like half a year later and asked if I had any interest in and proposing book ideas to them. And knowing that they had created some beautiful cookbooks, um, I kind of teased them with that idea. But I knew it had to be something more than that. And I had fallen in love with um, a a few books that were um, more story and narrative driven, but paired with recipes that really helped connect the reader with the experiences in the stories. And so I knew I wanted to do something like that ultimately. And I I pitched it to a couple different publishers, but Fellow Press ate it up and really um, bought in on my vision, you know, and and when you have an opportunity like that, where a publisher is going to help you bring your outlandish dream to life, exactly how you envision it, only even, even more beautiful, the time is now. So that's how it happened. (laughs) I love it. And I really do like the mix of the narrative with cookbook, because to be honest, I've never met a cookbook where I actually, you know, follow a recipe, you know, one step at a time. I like looking at them for ideas. So I really liked in yours, it was, you know, story, 
recipe, okay, I can take some some ideas and tips from this, but I don't feel like I'm kind of ignoring most of the, most of the point of it. Same. And even the recipes, they're, they're also written like stories. And really, you know, I don't intend for people to follow them to the letter. You can, if that helps you. And we had to really hone in on that for, for chefs who just wanted to like follow directions, but really they're meant to be like guides and ideas. And I hope that someone looks at a recipe and goes, well, I have a few of those ingredients, but I also have this and well, this is what we've got to cook it with. And they come up with their own creations too. It's really, I hope like a, yeah, used in that way, the way most people use cookbooks where you go, that looks good. Well, this is my way. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I also have to ask, how did the writing process look from writing it, you know, while doing all of these crazy adventures? Yeah. You know, it was was an interesting um, writing process. You know, I was also simultaneously writing a guidebook to Grand Staircase Escalante um, and freelancing, writing other stories and and traveling quite a bit. So I definitely, um, I'm a bit, like to keep busy. There was a lot of photo editing as well. And then honing in on the recipes, my life just kind of flowed in like big swings. Like I'd be out in the back country or in the desert and the canyons for a week at a time. And I'd work myself pretty good and come back kind of trashed and need to sit down for a week. And then I would just kind of do nothing but write and edit and work on photos for a week and go for easy jogs. Um, so it, that it kind of made an interesting, like, um, on-off switch for adventure writing, adventure writing. And, mm-hmm. and I still kind of use that that flow to this day. Yeah, I, I really like that. I, also, I like adventure writing, adventure writing just kind of leads into adventure writing. <laughs> so yeah, Exactly. You know, and I, I take notes when I'm out on adventures and, and I jot things down, but you're, you know, you're not going to develop a, a full-fledged essay or write a chapter of a book while you're also trying to make themes and find your water and not get lost out, you know, off trail in the desert. Like mm-hmm. that's not the time to try and get writing done, you know? Um, and, and usually if the adventure is good enough, the memories are pretty um, embedded in your brain. You're not going to forget them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I also find when I'm out running, that's actually when I get sort of the best, uh, we'll say downloads for writing. It's like, Oh, okay. That's how Me I too. can actually explain this and, you know, write totally. it. Um, yeah, like a lot of times when I've been sitting and I get stuck for too long and I'm like, oh my God, I haven't even gone outside. And I like, I'm like, oh, I should keep writing. And I just go out for like 30 minutes, like something unravels and like I figure it out. And I find myself like racing back to my laptop and getting a mini speed work in so I can go like solve the puzzle I've been trying to work on all day. Mm-hmm. That's actually why I bought an Apple Watch a couple of years ago thinking like, oh good, I can <laughs> record things into it and it'll like, you know, do the voice to text. It did not work. Do not recommend oh, that. No. But it's totally okay, it what like I, a great idea. I know, right? I, I've also thought about yeah. running with like a little recorder so I could do that. But then you just okay, realize. Okay, I do run with my phone sometimes in these kind of scenarios where I'm running mid yeah. like writing time and I stop and take notes when I have an epiphany for sure. Yeah, that's what I've started doing instead of trying to pretend like I'm going to record it because I just look like the insane person on the trail that's like (laughs) blabbering into my phone. And I don't know if you're like me, I write a lot better than I speak uh, when I'm trying to get my idea down. So if I had to to say out loud the things that first came into my head, oh my God, I would look like a crazy person. Exactly. It's so bad. Um, So (laughs) what what, what are you up to now? I mean, the book's been out for a couple months. Where where are you in, in life, in the world, etc.? Well, so the book came out in May. Um, and I immediately after my first book event for the launch took off for um, a travel writing adventure to Patagonia with one of my best friends where we ran around Torres del Pine National Park. And then I had a one-day layover and flew straight to Tahiti um, to explore trail running and hiking and um, rock art on the islands of Tahiti. So I was gone for about a month and completely shifted gears to new landscapes, which was really exciting. And, you know, a dream to come true to really do something different with my writing. Um, but then, it, you know, it was back to the Southwest and I've been kind of all over the place and doing book tour stuff and promoting outlandish. And I'm still in the editing stages for the grand staircase guidebook I'm working on that should be out this fall. Um, yeah, just, you know, digging into that stuff and writing and then just going on adventures and enjoying my backyard. That was one of the best parts of coming back from those trips is realizing, you know, vacation's great. Well, not that it was vacation, it was work. But, mm-hmm. you know, these exotic places are amazing. 
and where I live is so amazing as well. Yeah, I find I've actually been writing about it a bunch lately. I I kind of go between when I'm home, I'm like, oh, I want to be on all these adventures and like get kind of the wanderlust. And then when I'm actually gone, I'm mm-hmm. always like, really wish I was at home and like settling into my, my trails here and, you know, doing my day to day. So I'm like, I'm just a contrary person with that stuff, I think. But I think a lot of us are. I, I definitely am too, you know, and that you just have to, I think there is no solution. You can't be everywhere at once, even though, gosh, like, I know I've tried this yep. past few months. It's, a, it's almost possible to be everywhere in a month. Um, but you just have to go with ebbs and flows. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally get it. Um, so a lot of people obviously have this urge to do the, you know, van life thing or go on all these adventures and they, they want to do it, but they just kind of can't get over, I guess, like the, you know, the normal expectations. Like I loved in your acknowledgments, you mentioned like thanking your parents for, you know, being extremely tolerant of what you're doing. And it's funny because I've written almost the exact same one to my parents. Um What kind of advice do you have for kind of getting going and making those leaps? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because like I I didn't necessarily like, like living in my Jeep wasn't the goal. It was a way that I knew I could work towards my goals um, in saving money on rent. And I, you know, had to leave the place I was living and I had my Jeep and I didn't have anywhere else that I had to be. I wasn't rooted down in a career somewhere. Um, and I knew I wanted to travel, right? So to, for me, it really facilitated what I was working on. Um, and I think really the big thing for people to consider is to like not let other people's perceptions of you get in the way of things you want to do, but also don't go against the current of like your own dreams. Like I also realized like, you know, in, I figured out along the way that living in my Jeep and traveling the way I did was not conducive to recovery for training for like competitive trail races and track the way that I used to. And if I had wanted to continue to pursue that at a high level, I know I would have had to make some changes to my lifestyle um, to be more suitable, like root myself in in a place longer than, you know, a few days at a time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's really looking at your lifestyle choices and like, you're going to feel most fulfilled and happy in my opinion when they, they work with your goals. You know, yeah, it's so funny. I literally the next question I had written down was how were you handling recovery? Because I'm, you know, reading this book Mm -hmm. and you have all of these like, then, you know, you're doing these epically long runs and, you know, insane trail adventures. And I'm like, how, how are you possibly recovering from these in a Jeep? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I've, I've had my moments. When I, it was really hard when I was trying to, when I was still competing, you know, I think when I, that first cycle I was out there, I competed in the mountain, the U.S. mountain championships and the U.S. trail marathon championships and did my first 50K and a couple other competitive races. And I do a really hard workout and it just was hard to get the recovery in. Um, It's it's just like nutrition was kind of off and I sleep well anywhere, but it's just not the same as putting your legs up on a bed. And when you're training really hard, you need to nap. And I did a pretty good job. I have pictures of my friends caught me at the Silverton Library taking a cat nap in my Jeep in between work and training stuff a couple years ago. Um, But, you know, as far as like regular adventures go, um, I am pretty good. You know, once you start to get beat up or you do a really big day, um, I, I now just am a big fan of like total rest. Like mm-hmm. I'm not on a training schedule. So if I do something big and then I have to do a really long drive, I'm not going to try and fit in a workout too. Um, and I, pre- my workout is getting from point A to point B, finding good food and getting a lot of sleep. And so that's made it totally possible. Cause the number one, like negative thing for me would be getting sick. Yeah. 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 I can't really imagine it being super fun to have a terrible cold or the flu out of a Jeep. Actually the flu would be no. way worse. <laughs> The, yeah, I, I've gotten sick a few times. Look, I've gotten pretty lucky. Luckily, being outside a lot, I think, really does help your immune system. Yeah. Um, but I did get like a, I got a nasty cold the beginning of last summer out in southern Utah, and it was just brutal. Like, mm. <laughs> that is not a cozy place to be when you don't feel good. Yeah, yeah. So, that kind of backtracking, what made you shift from elite track running to ultra trail running? <laughs> Yeah. So when I I ran my last track race, it was a 5k in 2016. 
And I had been kind of hurt on and off all season and had just scraped together a season. And in my last race, I mean, I got like six weeks to train. And the rest of the time I was just like hiking around the snow with my dogs or sitting on my butt and driving in my Jeep. I, I managed to PR by an eighth of a second, which is like nothing. It's hilarious. But like, I still ran faster. So I, I it's kind of ironic, because obviously I had more in me. But it just, it didn't mean the same to me. I realized like, so much of it was arbitrary. And like, I had trained so much harder in other seasons and run faster. And I just kind of knew at that moment when I walked off the track, I'm like, I think it's time to move on. Like, if I can improve by totally shifting gears, what else? could improve in my life if I totally shifted gears. And I just really wanted to play in the mountains. Um, so I spent that summer just going on adventures. And actually, and my aunt and uncle were um, camped out on the other side, on the west side of the Sierras, where I was living at the time. And they wanted me to go camping, but it was an eight-hour drive. But I looked at a map, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's only 25 miles across the mountains. That would really, I mean, I don't, uh, that would only take me a few hours. And I was a, a 5K, 1500 runner. So that was a very long run for me. Um, but I, I just figured, look at it like a backpacking trip. So I ran across the Sierras to see them and then, you know, camped out and ran back the next day. Um, and I was hooked. Um, I had never really intended to race. That, that kind of came as a byproduct because I was so fresh off the racing thing. Um, but I was really captivated by, like, you know, the, the ability, instead of going to the track, getting to play in the mountains or the wilderness every day. Yeah. And how was the adaptation to it? Because obviously running over mountains is very different than running circles on the track. What was the hardest part to get used to? Oh, <laughs> getting used to, the, I mean, the the distance, the time on the feet, my nutrition, I definitely bonked really hard a few times because like, I didn't know what I was doing. I'd bring like some water, a little bit of water, some jelly beans and some pop tarts, like for, you know, half a day of running. And <laughs> eventually like, Early on, it was okay, but it took a while for, like, my feet and my lower leg ligaments to adapt to the multidimensional, like, steps, you know, because track is so repetitive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with, with time, my, my body is, like, I feel like it's fully adapted now, but definitely the first year, I would get pretty beat up and have some foot soreness where I just couldn't run, and as my tendons and ligaments adapted to the, the change of terrain and the style of running. So that was definitely, that was the hardest part. And the, the distance thing, you know, if I'm going for an adventure, it's one thing, but like racing super long distances, I still haven't really adapted to that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, R racing for four and a half or 16 minutes is really different than like 10 to 16 hours. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and what about like, did you add in any strength or mobility or anything like that? Or are you just pure running? Well, so when I did track, I did tons of that. I mean, we were doing mobility every day and we were doing strength training two or three times a week. I, I was training with the Mammoth Track Club. And before that, I was on um, several other competitive teams. Um, and then when I moved into my Jeep, that was part of the recovery problem. You know, I'd get my run done and then I'd want to socialize with people or drive somewhere or read something to like get a leg up on where I'm going tomorrow. And I'd do that instead of like you know, I couldn't go to a gym and do strength training. I would try and like lift water jugs and do stuff. And I'm, I'm trying to incorporate it back into my life again. Um, but yeah, that's definitely kind of fallen by the wayside. Mm -hmm. um, not, rec not recommended. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing some ankle mobility right now. I'm reminding myself. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, you just mentioned, you know, wanting to chat with people after runs and stuff. So question for the, the introverts out there, and I'm definitely one of them. Any tips for, you know, actually making friends? Because again, in the book, it seems like, you know, most places you go, you ended up with new friends. So for, for those of us that are not super skilled with the chatting with people, uh, any tips? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I living in my Jeep kind of exposed, I guess it's my sort of extreme personality. I can definitely do long stretches alone. Um, although it gets to I get to a breaking point where I'm like, okay, this is like, too much but then when I'm also like around you know a big crazy social setting I crave like I guess we should have a night out camped alone by the stars um so again those making making peace with those contrasts but you know I'm um, just not being afraid to be friendly with people and like non-confrontational settings like coffee shops or like group gatherings where um you know just sitting next to someone and you know asking if the, the table's full instead of taking up your own table um, things like that. It's, it's been surprising, like how many friends I've made just that way. Like, mm -hmm. you know, 
Yeah, and that's such a small, easy one. <laughs> it's super small. And, you know, a lot of times after, if I didn't know anybody and I was just going way too long without, because I just sometimes wouldn't see people for a really long time, and I would just go to a coffee shop or take myself out to lunch, even though I didn't, I, you know, I didn't really have the money to do that often or go to a library and just those small human interactions um, would, you know, make me feel more normal and, and sane, but often really kind of developed into, into friendships. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just being, being open to it. Um, yeah. You know, most people are nice. They're not going to judge you. And it's um, pe- people like meeting people who are traveling. Mm-hmm. Okay, so traveling, I have to ask because I'm I'm obsessed with like the what's in your bag kind of articles. I used to love them as a kid. <laughs> and, you know, obviously I naturally love all of the like what people have in their vans and I imagine your stash of stuff is even more pared down in the Jeep. So, how on earth did you decide what to bring with you on sort of that initial I'm leaving in this Jeep and what stuff do you bring on every single trip? What are your like staples? Well, it's interesting. So I pretty much, I mean, I had like, I gave myself like a very short window, like we're talking like under 15 minutes to grab stuff from the house I was living in at the time and get the hell out of Dodge. I was living in a bad situation. So I, I had already like gone through my head for like a survival situation, like a fire or an earthquake or a natural disaster, like what I would bring if I had to get out somewhere. So I just used that mentality and I I brought enough clothes. I brought all my like camping and survival gear and a few books and that's about it. Um, And really to this day, that, that is about it. You know, I haven't, I don't have a fancy solar shower. Um, I always have a seven gallon jug of water. I have all my like cooking supplies. I have a real stove I can cook on in the back of the Jeep now. I always have a really warm sleeping bag, even in the summer. Um, I, I just basically want to know that like, if I got stuck somewhere, I'd be fine for a week. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could, I could just set up camp and, and figure out. I always have my running shoes. I, I do like to know how far I am away from civilization or a road in case I have to run. And kind of the cutoff for me is like, okay, I really wouldn't want to run more than like 25 miles if I got stuck, then I have to think of a different plan. <laughs> That's fair. I guess that might be the argument for getting like a folding bike or something to bring with you so you could extend the, the distance. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea. I do have a backpack, so I could just like hoof it. But yeah, thankfully, I mean, I've had to do some hitchhiking, but it's all been resolved and reasonably taken care of in a few days. <laughs> nice. Um, so I also, in the book, you have like your list of backpacking and car camping food tools so what are like just four or five of the most important things for cooking while camping well a a quality knife and a lighter are a must not only for camping but for survive or for cooking but camping survival and I even bring them along with me on runs Um, you just never know those are things you can use for so many purposes and I've definitely had a lighter save my life on on an outing that went wrong and I didn't bring anything else. So um, those are indispensable. Um, A spatula and a cast iron are also really good. You can cook on a campfire with a cast iron. Um, And I like to have a portable like way to make coffee because I just, I love coffee. So either a small thing for a pour over or um, French presses that I keep buying from the Goodwill and inevitably breaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so glad when I saw that about the coffee and your your little like absolutely no to instant coffee because I am in the exact same boat. Won't do it. Can't do it for some reason. Uh, I've I've done it on a few like missions where I really had to like cut weight on things like in the backcountry and uh, actually Alpine Star instant coffee is pretty good. Um, but even then, most of the time I bring a really light pour over filter and regular coffee. Yeah, it's just that worth it. <laughs> it just it just weirds me out. I can't explain why, but instant coffee just like yeah. creeps me out. <laughs> no, it's it's not good. It's definitely not good. Um, and so also, you know, in terms of the book, a lot of the recipes are really good for you know these super active days. And I have to say, like, it was really nice to see a cookbook coming out that wasn't super like you know, hashtag eat clean or paleo or raw vegan or any of these things. It's just like, oh, these are actually things I would totally eat, you know, while camping and hiking. And, you know, 
doing really active stuff where I actually need a lot of hefty food. Um, but what does a normal day of eating look like for you? I, I assume at some point you're you're eating some salads and and you know greens and stuff. There there are, there are salads in, in that book. There actually, are yes, that's me, true. Um, there were yeah a couple. Yeah, I, I always kind of knocked on myself like maybe I'm not eating enough fruits and vegetables. But when um, the Velo Press team and I went to buy all the ingredients to do the food shoot for the photos. Some of them were taken in the field, but a lot of the photos for the food we did um, out in the desert on a two-day set. And we couldn't believe it was almost all produce. Um, so I, I really am not like, a lot of the time I love salads, but I'm not like making salads to go, like vegetables are getting like mixed into like every meal. Um, even when I go backpacking, I'll like, dr like crisp up kale and like break it into a powder and sprinkle it into my dehydrated food. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, typical, typical day of eating. I mean, like, I don't know, today I made myself a, a fruit smoothie cause that I really like those in the summer and the winter. I like heartier like breakfast, like eggs and bacon and toast and, um, for lunch, I'll probably make a, a burrito with some leftovers. I made some some ranch style beans with sausage and corn and sun dried tomatoes last night. And then I'm working on a, a big pot of pinto beans right now that I'm going to turn into some sort of Mexican feast. Maybe make some homemade salsa tonight um, with like fajitas and um, some grilled meat. Um, so yeah, it's actually really similar to how I eat and how I eat in the book. Um, yeah. But yeah, if I if I can get when I'm not like going deep into the backcountry for a long time, I definitely am like more produce heavy. Um, yeah. Um, okay. I have to, since you've mentioned burritos several times now, and they're obviously a feature in the book, you have a section on the book, but give me, give me a couple burrito wrapping tips because this is where I fail miserably and they just end up burrito bowls with tortillas mixed in. Yeah. So it's kind of like wrapping a present. Like you would like, fold like if you're like staring at the tortilla like and you put your filling straight across the middle I like to fold the left and right sides in first and then I like take my fingers and like kind of cup the burrito as I'm rolling the side closest to me away from the top with those sides folded in okay like it's, it. it's, and that's and that's hard for me to explain because I'm such a visual person and that's why it was really important for me to do the the visual um display yeah. in the book and at first I thought it was really silly that was actually um one of the the publisher's ideas um but they're absolutely right like a lot of people you know burritos aren't that mainstream I guess <laughs> it's not a sandwich well I think yeah because the automatic reaction is to just like roll them first and then you're trying to flip the two sides and that's I think where right where you start and if you losing make it, like, it. A wrap, yeah, if you make it like a wrap, that's okay. It, it might survive your lunch, but it's not going to be very portable. Mm -hmm. And if you really dial in the, the port, like the real wrap and get it nice and secure, you can take them on adventures or in the car. It's just such a good on-the-go food. Mm -hmm. So actually, when you're running, what do you what do you eat? Are you a burrito on the run person or do you go with more simple stuff? Yeah, I mean, if I'm doing really long, I mean, if I'm going on short runs, I don't, I don't bring anything. But um, for long runs, yeah, like I love bringing like avocado wrapped in a tortilla or cream cheese and turkey or um, sometimes just a bean and cheese burrito. I've done like Nutella and peanut butter wraps, um, but tortillas just you know, bread tends to get smashed or things fall out of it. So yeah, for sustainable, the other thing I really love is like cold leftover pizza. Ooh, That's really yeah. Good. Yeah, Pop-Tarts are good and Snickers bars. I mean, like, it's also just a matter of, like, a lot of the time, you know, I don't, I can't go to, like, a fancy sporting goods store. Um, like, I love goo waffles when I can get my hands on them. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, it's just like, you know, what, what can I get anywhere that I can trust that I've used before? Yeah, yeah. Pop-Tarts are kind of one of my major camping staples, I have to say. And pre-race, so it's just so easy. <laughs> Yeah, I used to eat Pop-Tarts for races all the time when I was a kid. And, you know, they have their place in a well-rounded day. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, the other thing you wrote about as far as greens went was foraging for, like, dandelion greens and stuff. How did you how did you learn about what you can forage and what you can't? Because I'm always terrified I mean, of the concept. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going out and just, like... In, 
foraging every chance I can get. Um, when I learn something, I'm, I'm willing to, to give it a go. And I was out in Silverton with some friends and one of them pointed out, they're like, Oh yeah, look at this whole field of dandelion greens. Like, you know, you can actually eat them. And me and my friend Tyler, who we were both living out of our cars and we were both pretty broke. We were like, dude, like a bag of greens at the market costs like $7. Like this is like, if we eat this, we're rich. We are rich with nutrients, and like we went, we were we were foraging, and there were also wild raspberries, and we cooked ourselves like a huge, huge like uh, cast iron of dandelion greens with wild rice, and they were really they were really bitter. Um, I've since learned some better techniques to cook them, but we finally got some good veggies in, and you know I've, I've foraged for like cactus um, pears, and you can do like a prickly pear margarita, and you can also like eat them which is really delicious um you know I, I love learning about that stuff but i'm not a full-on forager so i would definitely recommend if you know people do do your homework talk to someone who's an expert um yeah don't just go eating plants yeah i keep looking into i keep looking into foraging classes because i i think it's just like the most fascinating thing but also yeah terror inducing when you think about being you know 20 miles out on a trail and being like this mushroom looks like it might taste good and then Next thing you know. Yeah. Fun story, though. So I was kind of nervous about including the recipe in the cookbook. And I was talking to my mom, and she had dandelion greens in, growing in the backyard. And I'm like, do you mind trying this? And she was like, okay. So she went in the backyard and, like, picked the weeds and then cooked them for dinner. And she was like, yeah, it was great. And I was like, okay, it's going in. <laughs> to, I like it. I like it. Testing. My grandma actually used to make dandelion wine out of dandelions from their backyard all the time. Oh. So, wow. Okay. I need to look into that. I know. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? You're cool. in the back country and just making your own wine. Have you don't even weird wine. Don't even need yeah, to bring in a bottle. <laughs> I can't even imagine what that would taste like. Huh? Neither can I, to be honest. Thankfully I was too yeah. young when she was still making it. So I missed out on the taste and I can just think about the story as being really fascinating, but yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh -huh. So out of every story that you wrote about in the book, which one was the most fun to relive? Because I feel like that's the best part about writing. It, you know, when you're writing your experiences, it's like, oh, man, I remember that time. Oh, gosh. Huh. That's a possible. You know, a lot of the stories have really mixed emotions with them. Mm -hmm. um, they're cool stories. But yes, the most, most fun, the Tundrathon Triple. Um, that day in the mountains was definitely one of the best I've had ever. Um, just, just pure fun. Yeah. There was, you know, I rolled my ankle, but other than that, there was just nothing but smiling and sunflowers and sunsets and happy dogs and happy people. It was just one of those gr truly great days. Um, and then another fun one was, um, burrito uprising. The, the girls that I did the photo shoot with in Yosemite were so cool and hilarious. And I don't think, I don't think we stopped laughing and smiling again that entire day and in a beautiful setting. So the, I guess the moral of the story is go to the mountains with your friends and don't stop smiling. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, also, you travel with your dog all of the time, correct? Yeah, do man, dogs are, are have been a saga in my life. So yeah, when I left, the Sierras and moved into my Jeep initially I brought my two dogs with me and they ended up going back to Mammoth with my ex-husband um, they just weren't able to keep up with my active lifestyle which oh, broke my heart but it's better for them um, and then when I was on the road um, with my ex-boyfriend he our dog Herschel was with us and traveled with us constantly and then um, as you know from the book unfortunately he passed away last year which was really hard mm -hmm. and it left a void you know I was used to traveling with him and he would run with me every day and um, so it was really the longest stretch last year that I'd had without a dog in recent memory um, but I have a new dog in my life and Yay! he travels with me and runs with me yeah it's great <laughs> okay good because I've you been I've been campaigning for the last like three years so every time I have a podcast person on that I know has dogs I'm always like Tell me about how dogs work with your active lifestyle because I'm really trying. And I think, again, it comes it comes down to, like, you know, my other dogs really loved camping with me. There were things that worked, but it would have it would have been more difficult than, you know, they had they had special needs. It was they couldn't run more than like a mile and a half. Um, mm -hmm. There were two of them. So it's just really it, it, if I wanted it all to be about the dogs, 
you know, if I was just riding and it was all about them and I, I just liked going for dog walks and I was cool with that, it, it could work. But yeah. that's not me. Um, so, you know, Herschel and, and now Phil, they can they can go on big days in the mountains. They love sleep. Phil and I just went on a camping trip and slept in the Jeep together. And he loves it. Like, he gets excited to go in the Jeep. You, you know, just reading reading the dog. Like, there is there are dogs who can hack it, just like people. Mm-hmm. It's not for every dog. But it's totally possible. Totally. Yeah. Um, I have to ask. Best part, and I think obviously there's tons of them, but best part and worst part about living out of your vehicle. And hope, like, if you can think of something that's like, you know, more unexpected, I guess. The, the worst part is when things go wrong. And I've yeah. had literally almost everything fall apart and break down on the Jeep. And like, also just the Jeep do crazy things and almost kill me. Um, or you can argue that I almost killed me in the Jeep. So like car fiascos are the worst part. Because it's not just your car, it's like kind of your whole world. And like, I had my whole transmission die this spring. And like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, like those big what ifs, they happen to everyone, especially when you, and then even more so when you drive a lot and you don't really get to choose where that's going to happen. Um, so that's hands down the worst part. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, 10 years ago, I had a transmission die in the middle of nowhere in Georgia at like mm-hmm. three in the morning. Oh. And that was like, I mean, actually, probably 15 years ago now. And I remember having to have my dad wire money down to the guy to fix it because at the time I didn't have credit cards or anything. It was, oh my god! Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was brutal, and that was you know before smartphones or anything. So yeah, the transmission's right. a a bad one. <laughs> yeah, and I was really out in the middle of nowhere and had some local guys going back to their garages looking for obscure tools just so I could put more transmission fluid and like limp it back to a town oh. where it immediately died. Um, so yeah, that was that was fun. But I've I've had other really bad fiascos happen with the Jeep. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the worst. The best part has um, just been the, the people and the places that I've been able to encounter by getting outside just, you know, uh, a static bubble. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with having a home base, um, but expanding my, my world has just been so enriching and that's made possible by being able to hop in the car and go anywhere whenever I want to. Mm-hmm. I'm really lucky. I'm so really grateful. Yeah. And so if you had to pick one place where people should definitely put on their to visit bucket list, which place would it be? Uh, gosh, I mean, I think I th- before I nail down any one place, I really am a big fan of encouraging people to look at the public lands that are within striking distance of your own backyard. There's mm-hmm. so many incredible places. Um, and, and my parents really pushed me on this when I was a kid and some of the best adventures of my life. And even like as an adult has been exploring, you know, what's down the road and what's up that hillside that really seems like nobody ever goes to. Um, I think that's, oh man, everyone should do more of that. Cause that's where you're going to find your little hidden gems and um, a slice of solitude and beauty close to home but I I really do think everyone should go to southern Utah um you know which I'm not going to even say one place there's just Utah in general the state is so beautiful um and there's so much to choose from depending on what what you're interested in doing and what your skill set is and how much time you have um but it's a beautiful place yeah, I think that's actually such a good point, the like figuring out what's in your backyard, because I think so many people see the, you know, van life and all of these, you know, huge adventures and think about, oh, okay, I need to pack up and like go across the country. But it's like, no, you could just go for two days to a place two hours from you that you haven't been, and it'll probably be pretty magical. <laughs> Exactly. You know, and that's something like, you know, growing up, like I lived, I lived in the suburbs and, you know, I didn't have this like crazy extreme life, but I I loved sleeping in the backyard and my parents let me do that. I only slept inside really when I was like cold or just felt like it or if it was raining or something. And then they would encourage us to explore all around um, nearby and take us on like weekend micro adventures and explore different landscapes. And we never went on any exotic trips. But those trips close to home really got my imagination um, turning and and really at the end of the day are just as exciting and valuable as going somewhere far away. Yeah. And okay, this is a really awkward topic that I, I have to ask. It's just uh, my my husband always makes fun of me because I, I'm one of the... 
I'm getting better at it, but for me going mm -hmm. off on a long camping trip and not having access to a shower or even a body of water that I can jump in and clean up and stuff like that just drives me crazy. Uh, how do you adjust to that and what, what, what you know, stuff do you have on hand to stay reasonably clean-ish? <laughs> I think this is, more, this is a more embarrassing question for other people than me. I am not, I have never been like a shower fanatic. Like I really don't mind being dirty. Um, <laughs> this I, like all works really well for me. I'm sort of like in um, that middle point, but there's, there's like, I hit a limit where I'm just like, I need to, I need to be right, somewhat. No, 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 I do too. <laughs> I do too. And I will say that it, it's a lot easier out in the desert. I don't mind being dry and dirty. Um, that you, that kind of remedies pretty quickly. And there's something about the dirt that kind of keeps you strangely clean. You're not all like sweaty and it kind of even absorbs like in my mind, it absorbs yeah. the odors and, yep. and whatnot. But like when I was out in Tahiti and I was in the jungles, I felt so disgusting. Like I definitely wanted to take a shower like immediately. Um, but yeah, just finding bottles of water and I carry a seven gallon jug so I could heat up water and, and splash off. I always carry baby wipes. That's kind of a, a must just for personal hygiene. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I guess just finding your limit. I've taken showers at, like, you can go to truck stops. You can go to, um, like, mobile home parks sometimes have showers. Um, I've definitely broken down if I've been out for a long stretch and I'm far away from anyone I know. Just getting a really cheap motel room for the night, get a good night's sleep, clean up. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's not, there's not an easy. Every, everyone's limit's different, but I think the baby wipes are a must. Yes, And if absolutely. you do that every day, I think that can... I think that can mitigate a lot of it. Extend your your time between showers for sure. Yeah, I, I really do think so. I think if you keep up with it, if you don't wait until it gets bad, I think that can definitely help prolong your your standards. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're completely right about the desert versus, yeah, anywhere kind of humid yeah, or anything. Because um, I'm instantly yeah, just like a ball of oil and I'm just like, ugh, can't handle it. Yeah, humidity is different. And honestly, I'm like, I'm not a fan of it at all. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, kind of la I have two last questions here. The yeah. second to last one. Um, the photos in the book, gorgeous. Um, I know, you know, a photographer took a fair number of them. You, you know, obviously mentioned him and everything, but you obviously take amazing photos. You know, everyone should follow you on Instagram for even more awesome photos. Any tips for taking really good photos? I feel like I'm terrible at this, especially compared to what I see in your stuff. Hmm. Gosh, that's a, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. What? Well, I think, I think the first, you know, honestly, the first thing is um, when you, when you go to beautiful places, even if that's down the street or in your neighborhood, um, that, that definitely sets the stage to take better pictures. So that, that's definitely a huge, um, you know, beautiful places make for great photos. That sounds really mm -hmm. obvious, but it's true. Um, but I, you know, I really like if you're looking outside and something really catches your eye. So instead of just like taking photos, just take photos, which sometimes you have to do, um, or you want to do because you're, you're going to the Grand Canyon. You want a picture of the Grand Canyon. Um, but on a more like regular scale, like if you see the light hitting um, the trees and making a beautiful shadow or a, a flower jumps out at you or the hue of a rock, um, just getting in the habit of taking a picture of what's catching your eye. Um, and that helps kind of, you connect what you're seeing because really the photo is just an extension of what you're seeing. And so getting in the habit of taking pictures of things that you notice as like unique and beautiful, um, that, that really helps you like hone it. And then just taking lots of pictures. Mm -hmm. But again, like waiting until you see something where you're like, Oh wow, that's like, that's really beautiful and cool. And then taking a picture. And even if it doesn't come out, like what you think is maybe a good picture, you're still working on like capturing those moments that really stand out to you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and then, yeah, last, last question is just what's, what's next on your big projects list? I know you have the other book you're working on, but other than that, anything huge coming down the pipe? Um, I, I'm dreaming up another book. Uh, it's going to be a, it's a pretty daunting project and there's some cool adventures that I hope to take along the way to, and lots of research and connecting with some historians and archeologists. And um, it's, it's a, a rather outlandish idea again, but I'm excited to dig into that. And um, yeah, also just, you know, be 
be present. You know, I've, I've had such focused work. I think it's really good for me to just take some time this summer and quote unquote, just be normal. And you're like, Oh, today I feel like going to the mountains. Oh, today let's just go on a river trip or today I'm going to keep working on this proposal for this next book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what next it was. It was a pretty, oof, it was a hefty schedule this last year with, with the books and the travel schedule. So it's nice to take some, relatively chill time but it's 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 busy and i'm excited to start a new book i'm pretty i'm pretty psyched on long-term writing projects yeah it's funny the number of times i've said relatively chill in regards to my schedule for the last like i don't know year that i've been lying about it is is pretty ridiculous um i think yeah once you get the idea it keeps going yeah i I think I should start a support group called Overreachers Anonymous because like now that I've said that, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm also working on like co-producing a film and, you know, that might be done this fall. And um, I have like a bunch of articles up in the air that I'm working on and I'm trying to get in some running most days of the week. (laughs) Yeah, You know, just life. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you start that group, I will be your first member for sure. (laughs) Yeah, cool. All right. We're we're getting traction already. I don't know Uh, what we're going to do except for just go, oh, no, you're not that busy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That seems reasonable. Perfect. All right. Where can everyone find you and the book? Um, so the book is available on the runningbum.com. It definitely helps if you buy the book directly through me. Um, my publishers are amazing and help have helped facilitate it so that I can actually survive off of this book, um, was much better than Amazon. Keep that in mind when you're supporting any writer. Um, yes. yeah, they, we don't make any money off Amazon. And then to keep up with my adventures, I post pretty frequently on Instagram. Running bum is my handle and I love hearing from people and interacting and, um, yeah, and I hope um, hope you can find me there. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out WideAnglePodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week... Uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.